Well, good morning, and um, just a reminder, we are observing the Lord's Supper today, so hopefully you got a little uh, cup and a wafer when you came in. If not, then uh, someone can uh, bring you uh, one if you raise your hand at the right before. Um, I'd like to start by reading our scripture this morning. It is Psalm 32. Psalm 32, it'll be on the screens, but feel free to look in your, on your smartphone, in the paper Bible, whatever you have to read along. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. So what do you feel guilty about? You might be thinking, well, I feel guilty all the time. I feel guilty about everything. I feel guilty when other people feel guilty. <laughs> or you might say, I don't ever feel guilty. Nothing bothers me. I don't ever feel guilty. Well, something, if, if you're in one of those two camps on the side of those spectrum, then you're, probably something's off. <laughs> because... You know, guilt, it's a negative emotion, but it's an appropriate emotion when we've done something wrong. And, and since nobody's perfect, we should all feel guilt sometime, okay? Not all the time, but sometime, like when we've done wrong. And so the question is, how do we deal with guilt in a healthy way, in, in a biblical way? Well, we're continuing our series on emotions, Okay, um, we skipped last week a little bit for our annual meeting, but the reason we're looking at emotions is that we don't deal with our emotions very well. Uh, we either are led by emotion or we ignore our emotions, and either of those things are not healthy. And especially as this year we're looking, our, our theme is the Lord leads. Um, so many times our emotions can lead us, uh, whether because we're, they're driving us or we're ignoring them, ignoring them. they can lead us into um, bad places, but, um, when, especially when we don't treat them properly. But on the other hand, God, we're emotional beings. Emotions are a part of who we are, and when treated properly, God can actually use our emotions to draw him closer to him. So the last time we were in this series, we talked about sadness and grief. Well, today I want to talk about guilt and shame. What do we do 
about our guilt. Again, if we, like it, if we let it take over or we ignore it, it can bring us to very difficult and bad places. No, instead, what we're to do is we're supposed to do what the psalmist does, right? The, the, the Psalm 32, the psalm I just read, that we lift our guilt up to God and we find relief and blessing. The, the central verse of that psalm I just read, Psalm 32, is actually verse 5. It, said, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, that word translated iniquity can be translated guilt. So if you have an NIV Bible, it will say that you forgave the guilt of my sin. In fact, all of those um, words for sin can also sometimes be translated guilt. The point is, the psalmist, he didn't cover up or ignore his guilt he lifted it up to God, and God forgave him. He released him from that guilt. Now, we often think about, you know, confessing guilt, confessing sin is something very uncomfortable that we really don't like to do it. But the psalmist, what did he experience? He experienced that as a great blessing. Again, why, how did he start the psalm off? It's in verse 1, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, right? Blessed is the man whom against the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. Meaning he didn't justify it. He didn't kind of cover it up. His, his, in, in his spirit and his, uh, again, he wasn't fooling himself. He wasn't pretending. You know, he lifts this stuff up to God and he feels a blessedness. But verse 3, but when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So did you hear the testimony of the psalmist here? When I lifted up my sin and guilt, I felt the weight lifted. I felt the freedom of forgiveness, the blessedness of that release and that freedom. But when I kept silent, that is when his, his, his bones wasted away. He was eaten from the inside where guilt was just eating him up. But then he testifies that he went from being racked by guilt and all the anxiety, all the depression that comes along when you're racked with guilt. He went from that to a sense of blessedness. I know there's some people here or watching online, they, you want that today. You want that release. You want that freedom. You want to be released from all of this guilt that it's, it's eating away at you. Well, the good news is the psalmist invites us to that place. Because, because of the psalmist's experience, right, he, he starts to, he moves from, from praise to sort of instruction at the end. If you notice, he's like, now I want to instruct you. This is what I experienced. So now let me, let me give you counsel. He says, don't be like a stubborn mule who has to be driven to God against their will with a bit and bridle. No, go, find release, find joy. Which is why, if you notice how the psalm ends, Psalm 10, says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. When we trust in the Lord, his steadfast love surrounds us. In other words, we trust him that if he forgives us, if he releases us, then his love surrounds us. 
And we don't trust in ourselves of trying to make up for this or that or, or somehow we can fix it. No, we trust in God to release us from that guilt and then give us the guidance for the next steps to take. And it says in verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The takeaway here is clear. We acknowledge our guilt to God. We receive forgiveness, we receive release, and we receive the guidance of where to go next. And this is a psalm. This is Old Testament stuff, right, the psalm. And so if you're a Christian, I want to add that, you know, not only does this promise say that if we acknowledge our sins before God, he releases us from that guilt, but that God has already nailed your sin and your guilt to the cross of Jesus Christ. So that when you're coming to God, you're not coming to him, oh God, I, I hope that you care. I hope you'll forgive. He's already shown his forgiveness on the cross. He's already paid for your debt. So you're coming to someone who's already finished it. And so there could be a confidence there and a, a true release. Now, my guess is that many people listening right now, you know that concept. <laughs> you know the concept, but yet many of us aren't dealing with guilt very well. Why? Why is that? Well, sometimes this process of dealing with guilt it's hindered because we don't really understand guilt. We don't understand, wait, what's biblical, what's healthy, and what's not. And so I think we need to define our terms because these words, guilt, and I'll talk about shame in a minute, and, and all this, it can be used in different ways in the Bible, and it definitely can be used in different ways in our society. So, so what are we talking about here? Let me define guilt. If you look up guilt in the dictionary, you'll find that there's usually a two-part definition. One part is the fact of guilt, and then the other part is the feeling of guilt. So the fact of guilt, you look it up, it says guilt, the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. Okay? The, the, the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. So example, like this person, let's say, was guilty of lying. They, they actually lied. So they have guilt in the eyes of the law. Okay, and you're thinking, well, the, you know, lying is not against the law. Well, it is if you're under oath, right? So in some cases, yeah, you break the law. And it also doesn't just have to be the criminal law. It can be God's law, right? Do not bear false witness. So there's the fact of guilt that, you, you know, again, using that, you lied, so you have guilt in the eyes of the lawgiver. That's the fact of guilt. But then there's also the feeling, the feeling of guilt. So then you, you looked at the, the definition. It says, you know, guilt, feeling responsible or regretful for a perceived offense, uh, real or imaginary. So you can feel guilty because, well, let's say you really lied, right? You, you lied and then you feel responsible or regretful because of that offense, okay? Or what happens sometimes is we can feel guilty for an imagined offense. So someone thinks you lied, and even though you didn't, and, and sometimes people feel guilty about that. You think, oh, I must have done something wrong to make them think I would have lied. Well, no, in that case, the feeling of guilt and the fact of guilt, they don't match, okay? 
So fact and fe the fact of guilt and the feeling of guilt don't always match up. And that's usually where we struggle with the guilt. That's why the process of going to God and receiving that release is, it, it can be all mixed up because the facts and the feelings don't necessarily match. That's where, that's most often what gives us trouble in dealing with guilt. Now, this has caused, because guilt's kind of a negative emotion, this has caused some people, some psychologists to argue that, okay, guilt is always bad, right? You, know, you, you want to get rid of all guilt and just no, no matter what, just get rid of it all. But that's not necessarily biblical because guilt can be beneficial. It can lead us to repentance. It can lead us to seeking forgiveness and reconciliation from the person we may have wronged. So, for example, Darth Vader, all right? Darth Vader from Star Wars. Now, that guy did some really bad stuff, right? I mean, he killed all sorts of the younglings. How could you do that? But anyways, you know, and he didn't feel guilty. He didn't feel guilty about it at all. But what happened when his own son, right, when, when the emperor was zapping Luke with the, uh, with the lightning from his hands, that's, like, that's when the guilt, that's when things changed, and he changed, Right? So guilt, it can be beneficial because it actually opens our eyes to, wait a minute, something's wrong. I'm, uh, there's something that I'm doing is wrong. It leads us to God. It leads us to reconciliation. Even if before that, we hadn't seen it. Or Psalm 60, in Psalm 63, the, the Psalm I just read, the writer, he, he really did wrong. He, he really had guilt and that caused him to go to God for forgiveness and help in returning to the right path. The other psalm I was thinking of reading today, but I chose this one instead, was Psalm 51. So those of you who like homework, you know, there's your homework. Read Psalm 51. And in that psalm, the, David is confessing his sin. Uh, he committed adultery with Uriah's wife, and then he sends Uriah into battle to be killed. I mean, he was guilty of some moral outrage, and finally the guilt got to him where David was repenting and turning to God. So guilt can lead us to a place of restoration and reconciliation. So society might tell us, you know, get rid of all guilt. And, and one of the ways we often do that is we get rid of any notion of right or wrong, right? Because after all, if there's no true right or wrong, you don't ever have to feel guilty about anything. But we can't live like that. We don't live like that. Every human being has a conscience, an idea of right and wrong. Romans 2, 14 through 15 talks about how God has put a moral consciousness in every human being and that our conscience either accuses us, says we're guilty, or excuses us and says we're not guilty. So we can't live like that. No matter what, we always live by a moral code and we feel that guilt and stuff. And so the important thing is, is that's why we need God's word to help guide us to what's truly right, what's truly wrong, even something greater than feeling, something that is grounded in the eternal holy God. Now, some folks will bend their conscience so that it always excuses them, always justifies them, so that they never feel guilt, even for real wrongs. I mean, we all know people in our lives who really hurt others in an obvious way and everyone else recognizes it, but they don't. They don't see the wrong. They don't feel guilt. The feelings don't match reality. And this is not only a danger to society, but it's a danger to that person. 
Because the Bible warns us that we can actually lose the capacity to feel guilt. It's called a hardened heart. A person no longer feels remorse, no longer feels guilt over wrong. The, the, the fact of guilt in their feelings no longer match, and they don't feel that remorse. And this is very prevalent in our society today because we no longer follow the Lord's leading. We just says, well, whatever society says, that's what's right and wrong. And our hearts become hardened to those things that the Lord has told us are not good for us. We're in spiritual and emotional danger when we ignore guilt, and especially when we no longer feel it. R.C. Sproul in his booklet, What Can I Do With My Guilt? He makes a helpful comparison between physical pain and guilt. He says, there's an analogy between physical pain and psychological pain associated with guilt feelings. Whenever a person experiences a, a physical pain, right, he is alarmed and uncomfortable, so he seeks relief. He might get painkillers, try to get rid of that uncomfortable feeling. Yet from a physical perspective, pain is an important reality because pain signals to us that there's something wrong. And if we cover up the pain, we could be covering up a life-threatening illness. Though we no longer suffer from the pain, we may be moving in a deadly direction. By way of analogy, the pain that comes with guilt feelings is God's way of sending an alarm to our souls, to our consciences, that speak to us and tell us there's something wrong that needs to be dealt with. So my friends, when we're not right with God or we're not right with other people, the guilt is meant to push us towards reconciliation, to being made right with that person, to being made right with God eternally. And that's how the psalmist dealt with his guilt, right? To receive forgiveness and the experience of release. Again, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so here we is, stop ignoring our guilt. Lift it up to God and, and say to God, God, does this feeling reflect the reality that I've gone against you? And then if you get the affirmative, then you release that, and you, and, you, and you ask for guidance, and you come to God for forgiveness. Or that same question, Lord, does this feeling reflect the reality? If you no longer feel any guilt for something you know is against God's law, go to him and say, God, why is, has my heart become so hardened that I, I no longer want to come to you? But either way, we lift this guilt up to God, and we, ref we find that release and that forgiveness. Now, guilt can be helpful, but it also can be very harmful. Because sometimes we can feel guilty for things that we are not responsible for. So, for instance, you've heard of survivor's guilt, right? This is where someone, whether it's through war or an accident, they survive, but their comrades or, or whoever, their loved ones die, and they feel guilty about that they survived, their, their loved one died. Well, that, that was beyond their control. It's not their fault. And so it's hard for them to find relief confessing wrong because they didn't do wrong. It wasn't their fault. And yet the feeling of guilt can eat away at them. But again, it's, it's a toxic kind of guilt because, again, it's, it, the, the fact of it doesn't match their feeling. 
And in that case, guilt can be very harmful because the feeling doesn't match the facts. And I'm not talking about guilt as in a part of the grieving process. That's, that's just a natural part of the grieving process that you go through that. I'm talking about this, this constant gnawing about something you had no control over. Additionally, some people can feel guilty even when they've done no wrong. It's just sort of their default reaction. And sometimes this is your upbringing. You may have been brought up with your family, just drills that into you so you feel guilt at everything uh, all the time. And not only does that hurt, it also leaves us more open to manipulation because people will use guilt to manipulate you into doing the things they want you to do. And that's so toxic because guilt, manip guilt manipulation is toxic to human relationships because that negative emotion was meant to bring reconciliation and release and freedom, and someone is using that emotion instead to try to get you into bondage. And so many times, so yes, guilt can bring us to God, but guilt with that negative emotion, it has so many difficult things going on that we really need to lift it up to God. And, and let's be very frank with ourselves too. Often we, we feel things and, and we don't even know what's going on in ourselves, right? That we have this mix of guilt and, and, and but in some cases we know we've done wrong on this, but we're innocent on that and, and things get all mixed up. Well, you don't have to first figure it out before you lift it to God. You can just lift it to God. God, I'm feeling guilt and I'm lifting it up to you because I know ultimately you're the one who will bring me release. You're the one who will guide me in this. Help me, Lord. Have mercy. I have an example is, you know, I have a friend um, long from long ago who was abused as a child. And this, this man, he, he felt all sorts of guilt. He felt all sorts of feelings of shame. And the, one of the first steps of his healing was accepting that it was not his fault, okay? That all that guilt he felt, no, he was just a kid. This was not his fault, and that, that helped him take some steps towards healing. But then he also realized that since that day, his response to that trauma, very understandable response, but it was still wrong. Some of the ways that he acted out and treated others. And so he was like, but, you know, I, I, I know that's not my fault, but, but what about this and this response? And he came to that point where he realized because of God's love and his forgiveness, he didn't need to figure it all out first. He could just bring that whole mess to God, both the innocence and the guilt, and say, God, have mercy. I receive your forgiveness. God, make me new. And he receives that forgiveness. He receives that new identity as a child of God, that the guilt would not define him, that the trauma would not define him, that his responses that he did wrong would not define him because he was released from that all when Christ took on the sin on that cross so that now he knows he is a redeemed child of God. No matter the past, no matter what he's done, no matter what, what he didn't do, his, now his identity is in a as a child of God. Now, with that example, let me bring you to another emotion related to guilt, and that is shame. Let me define shame. Shame does not so much relate to a specific action, 
but rather how we see ourselves. So that shame can develop from guilt, but it's not about a, particularly, a particular wrong, but it's about us as a person. So it's not just, okay, I lied, and you know, then therefore I feel guilty or I have guilt, but I'm a liar. Like that's who I am. See, it strikes to our identity. That's what shame does. Shame can keep us trapped in our past so that instead of the release of our guilt and our sins so that we're no longer, even if we lied our whole lives, we are no longer a liar. We're a child of God. So as Christians, we don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live with that guilt. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Shame is not who we are. God defines who we are. He takes away our shame. He takes away our guilt, and he makes us new children of God. And that's the good news. So, you know, how do we deal with guilt and shame? Well, first of all, like the psalmist does, we pray, right? We lift it up to God, and we prayerfully ask God, and we ask ourselves, God, I'm feeling guilty, so why am I feeling guilty? Or why am I not feeling guilty over something I, I, I should be? God, have I gone against your ways? And wherever we have, the promise here is we acknowledge that to God, and ask his forgiveness, and we have it. And then we trust him. We trust his word to guide us. And Judy and I didn't plan this out, but at the beginning of our service, she shared 1 John 1, 8 through 9, and I think uh, I want to share it with you again because it, it really reflects what we need to do. Verse, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that's when we don't feel any guilt. We're always justifying our stuff. We say, no, that's when we get the hardened heart. That's when there's self-deception that, because God says there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So we all have some guilt. And so if we say we don't have any, then we're deceiving ourselves. But here's verse 9. Here's the promise. It's very similar to the promise in Psalm, right, 32.5. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise. Confession brings forgiveness. And we need to trust God and his word. So when we lift that up to God, it's not like, okay, God, you know, forgive me. I have this guilt. And then it's just whatever. Through his word, God is promising us, no, you are forgiven. If you confess your sins before God, then Jesus has already cleansed us by his blood from all unrighteousness. We need to trust God and his word. We need to let his word lead us and not our feelings in this case. Because if, our, if we, some of us, we feel guilt, we still feel trapped in guilt, even though God has said we're forgiven, even though we've come to God and said, God, I have sinned against you and others, and so forgive me. And then God gives you guidance and says, all right, you need to make it right with other people. You do all that, and you still say, I, I still feel guilty. I just can't forgive myself. Well, I know you're hurting, 
but I know some folks need to hear this, is that God is the judge. If he says you're forgiven, I don't care how you feel, you are forgiven. Be released from that. Don't grab onto a guilt that God has released you from. So that's prideful. Don't say, I can't forgive yourself. God of the universe says you're forgiven, then you're truly forgiven. Grab on to that. I know there's some people who need to hear that because, yes, you understand the biblical principle of forgiveness. You might even forgive other people, but yet you are still racked with the things that you've done. You're racked with your past when God has already said it's released. Trust God. Let him lead you. And then the final thing we get from this psalm is counsel. So we have the prayer, we have word, we have counsel. We may also want to seek counsel. Remember, the psalmist, after he felt this release, he says, now I want to counsel you in, 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 the, in the wonderfulness of confession. Well, sometimes we need to find that counsel of a loved one, a, a mentor, a mental health professional to help us navigate this emotion because... Again, sometimes we can't detangle the fact and the feeling of guilt without help. Or we might have such a pattern of toxic shame and guilt and related destructive behaviors that, you know, a professional can help us break free. But ultimately, it does come down to whether we're seeking help, prayer, or the word, will we take God up on his promise? Will we take him up on his promise? And so let me read that verse 5 again. And I want you to hear this. I want you to receive this promise. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's what we need to do. That's the promise. That's the promise of relief. That's how we get to that place of blessedness that the psalmist talks about. It can blow our minds that, wait, how can the psalmist feel so blessed and happy? He just poured out his heart and confessed all of these bad things that he did. Well, yes, because God is loving. He surrounds us with loving kindness. He releases those things. And again, he does that on the cross. And so it's very appropriate that we are observing the Lord's Supper today. And so if you would, uh, you know, take out your, your, your bread and cup here. Because think about what does the Lord's Supper represent? It represents his broken body, right, and his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. It's that on the cross, Jesus took on our sins. He took on our guilt, as I mentioned before, so that when we come to God, we're coming to one who says, you know, the price is already paid. Your guilt has already been paid for. Your sin is already paid for. So when we come to him, it's just a matter of receiving what he's already provided through the death on the cross. And my friends, if you don't, Believe that, or, or you haven't believed it before. Um, you can come to him now and, and realize that that, that that guilt you feel, the sin you feel, like Christ died for that. 
That if you're not sure, you can come to God. You're like, oh, he's, a, you know, he's such a holy God and, and all this. He proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. So that even before we asked him, he did something about our sin and guilt. That's the kind of God he is. So in Matthew, this was the night also Jesus was betrayed before um, he, the night before he went to the cross. Matthew says, uh, Matthew uh, 26, verse 26 says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Take and eat the bread represents Jesus' body broken for us. And then Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We take and drink the, the cup of Jesus' spilled blood for our forgiveness. Take, drink, and remembrance. Lord Jesus, we have taken the bread and the cup, remembering your sacrifice that has freed us, freed us from sin, freed us from guilt. And Lord, as we take the bread and the cup, we're so grateful for your sacrifice that gives us freedom. And Lord, as we remember your sacrifice, we remember your forgiveness, we pray that you would show us any of those who... Lord, we need to forgive or we need to ask for forgiveness. Lord, we pray that the guilt that we have, that's true guilt, that's, that's based on fact, would not only cause us to come to you for reconciliation, but go to our brothers and sisters as well. And that through these things, Lord, you would bring freedom and release in our relationship with you and our relationship with others. Thank you, God. Thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.